Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome. This is the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Hi. This is a weekly conversation with someone that I find truly inspiring. Someone that I hopefully, that will hopefully leave you truly inspired as well. My goal here is to talk with guests that have a great story to tell or have achieved something remarkable in their lives and through their story, hopefully get inspired myself and perhaps inspire you as well. If you like this show, if the show's for you, um, it would do me an enormous service if you could just reach into your pocket and tweet out a link to the show. Just pick up the phone or whatever it is you're listening to it on, click share and tweet it out. That's how to get the word out about the show. I don't do any marketing except this and the show's downloads are a direct reflection of that. So thank you so much to everybody that did it through the week. If you could do me the big kindness of popping into the podcast app, I mean the iTunes store on your iPhone and rate the show. You can also rate the show in the iTunes app on your laptop or your desktop or whatever. Um, that would be ace. That's the way that between downloads and ratings that the iTunes charts work. So thank you so much. Anna Luno is on the show today. She's a, a DJ and a producer or a producer and a DJ, but I'll tell you more about her in a second. Um, look, folks, I'm not going to lie. It's been a rough week. Um, there's a part of my brain that likes to ignore all evidence to the contrary and tries to tell me, honestly, that the sky is falling, that Armageddon itself is about to happen this very day, that climate change will destroy us all, that this particular girl doesn't like me as much as I like her, that I'm fatter than I'd like to be. But these thoughts have equal weight and they can be absolutely crushing to the point where it's quite difficult to get out the door. Um, luckily, though, 
I know what to do. I know the only way out from underneath this kind of swirling vortex of negative looping, negative propaganda based completely in fantasy is I have to do the work. So this morning, I you know got out my trusty spiral notebook and um, I did my uh, REBT, it's called, processing. I wrote it down, re-rationalized it. I put it back together, gave myself a healthier, more rational way to look at things, turned it into a chant, took it for a run. And... I never cease to be amazed how this works. Taking those reframing thoughts out on the road or to the yoga class or onto my bike or just going for a walk, whatever, just and then chanting them into my brain, it really works. Really works. So So I got back from my run and it's it really it's like a weight has lifted off of my shoulders. I still kind of the old thoughts kind of come back like a mosquito buzzing around, but you know, just kind of have to Jedi mind trick them away. Anyway, that's how I dealt with it today. Um, and like truly, I'm being as more honest with you than I've ever been before. That's that's exactly what happened this morning. And I mean, I'm grateful that I can do this because I like having something to do. <laughs> Let me tell you about my guest today. She's amazing. Her name's Anna Luno. She's on Twitter at Anna Luno, L-U-N-O-E. She is one of the hottest DJs, producers around right now. She's constantly number one on Beatport, which is a, it's like an online music store. It's like iTunes for DJs. It's, it's a very, very uh, uh, credible, um, very prestigious thing to be number one there. She tours all over the world, all over the world. She makes great music. She collaborates with incredible artists, and she's about to play at the prestigious Coachella Festival out here in the desert in California. Her story is inspirational because she describes in great detail about how she transcended a creative block with her music making. And she tells me, the exact path to follow if you'd like to become a DJ. Spells it out in about three sentences. It's pretty good. But even if you don't want to become a DJ, the way she talks about how she approaches her work, how she treats her community, her network of people and friends, and then balancing the fact that the thing that is her life and is her obsession is also a job. The way she talks about that is really, really moving. Like I said, she's on Twitter. She's on Instagram, Anna Luno, A-N-N-A-L-U-N-O-E. Uh, just send her a tweet that you heard her here if you like what she has to say, if you like what she has to say. She's also on SoundCloud. She's got a bunch of mixes on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com. Just search for Anna Luno. You'll find her. This is a really great, um, a really great chat that we had in her kitchen. <laughs> I'm sorry about the bit where I spill something. It's quite funny, so I left it in. Come sit down in Annalena's kitchen with me. Let's do it. Thanks for coming on my show, Anna Luna. Thanks for having me. Are you kidding me? It's the greatest. I managed to find <laughs> a, like a, a splinter of opportunity in your incredibly busy schedule <laughs> to come and have a chat with you. Um, because you're doing so well, and I'm so excited to come and speak with you today um, here in your beautiful home in Silver Lake, which is on the kind of like the, the far side. Of, that's Griffith Park over there, isn't it? Don't give away too much information. I'm just joking. Um, no, Griffith Park is, yeah. Griffith Park is the largest park in the lower 48 states. It's Don't worry. true. We can so say we're like... next door to Griffith Park and be in 70 <laughs> suburbs. <laughs> Don't worry. We're in East LA, as Cheech Marin would say. We're, we're there's, look, here's, there's heaps of mountains and there's heaps of palm trees. And coyotes. Yes, coyotes. Once I came home and there was a coyote taking a poop right on my front step. I love the way coyotes take a poop. 
They're not like domestic dogs who look like they're ashamed every time they poo. <laughs> I used to live with this Labrador, and when she pooed, she would at the dog park. She would run far away and go behind a bush because she didn't want to be looked at. Right. Cody's just like, I'm going to do it right here. Yeah. I don't care where you're walking. I'm doing this right now, <laughs> and then just wander off. Do you get many coyotes over in Santa Monica? In not in Venice. In Venice? No, no, no. We have people that do that. Right. Yeah, it's nothing yes. like going for a jog and, and jumping over human poo. Coyote humans. There's no, well, just poo. Just people, humans who just take a poo in the street. <laughs> just people who live pretty rough down there. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's that's a whole other world. Yeah. Um, you can find Anna Luno on Twitter at Anna Luno L U N O E. Uh, you can also find her there on Instagram and go and find her on SoundCloud um, where currently she's uploading some really interesting live mixes, which are a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, we met for the first time. I remember, I remember hearing your voice before I met you because I remember hearing you on the radio mm. and FBI in, in Sydney. But we met for the first time. Was it when you came to Channel V or just before that? Uh, I think it was when I came to Channel V. I think I don't remember the exact time that I first met you. Oh, Oh, man, those years are a bit of a blur. Oh, but... God, you and me both. Because <laughs> I remember meeting you only like the last year or two, and I remember having to say to you, was I nice to you? Yeah, yeah. Because I, really I really don't remember. Yeah. No, you were nice. I'm, oh, I think th- I'm pretty sure that the first time I met you was at the Channel V offices. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I just remember you walking in and going, oh, you're the girl from the radio that plays the cool music. But you didn't say anything. You would have just said, hi, and I would have gone, oh, my God, it's it's actually <laughs> but then just acted real cool like i didn't care um no i just remember there was it was because uh, uh, this is a time in sydney radio where they whoever the authority is federal broadcasting i get confused between the american and the australian one had just issued a new community license mm-hmm. and i'd been a part of a launch campaign for another station right a station called groove fm okay yeah, yeah. uh which was we did a month of breakfast radio and seriously, we were getting up in the morning and we were playing like BB&Q and Backyard <laughs> Band, like 80s funk first thing in the morning. Sounds and it was amazing. out of sight, but right. we didn't get it. Um, right. But it went to FBI. Yeah. And initially I was like grumbly, grumbly. But it was, you know, community radio anyway. No one gets paid. So. Mm. <laughs> but then I remember FBI was like, actually, it's really good. It is. It's, a, it's an amazing place. FBI is like, incredible. And, and what it does for uh, Australian music mm-hmm. is, is really remarkable. And it's, it's interesting that I think a commercial radio in Australia has a quota, percentage quota of how much Australian music they have to play. If I'm not mistaken, FBI plays 50% Australian music. Of that 50%, half of that is from Sydney. Correct. Which is incredible when yeah. it comes to supporting a scene. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like you just, I, I mean, being in America has made me understand how incredible that was. I mean, not that I didn't think it was incredible and I've always been a very proud member of the FBI community and given it my time and energy for my whole adult life. But when I came here, it just, you know, how can, America has KCRW, which is fantastic. I just became a sponsor today, actually. They were doing a supporter drive. In fact, side note, Red Hot Chili Peppers gave $25,000 if, if they could raise $25,000 on the morning show this morning. Isn't that cool? That's amazing. So I gave money. Good. But isn't that amazing? Like yeah. a, a band getting putting their money behind it and just being like, this is our community, we're giving back. Yeah. So there's a lot of money. They don't have to do that. Um, that would have been Flea. Oh, it was Flea. That would have been Flea. It, That's, it would have been Chili Peppers. It would have been Flea by yeah. himself. Because he's the one that started the music school down the street. Right. And, okay, yeah. yeah. He's really into community. Got yeah. it, got it, got it, got it. Um, yeah, but yeah, just coming here and just seeing like, I don't know, all over the world, you know, we think we take it for granted, but there's 
all over the world. They're not, you know, in some places you'd think would have really amazing community radio. Sometimes they don't. And it's an incredible resource and a scene and mm. music subgenres and all these things can't survive without. And it, and it begets itself. It, it feeds itself uh-huh. when it has those musical quotas. And, and watching from afar the debate going on in Australia at the moment about Triple J's relevance. Right, yeah, yeah. Because I talk a lot about this, about how much. I didn't realise Triple J was incredible, an incredible part of culture, mm-hmm. not just a music scene, but a culture until mm-hmm. I came here. And there's no Triple J. There's yeah. nothing even equivalent to Triple no, J. NPR doesn't even come close That's right. musically. Mm-hmm. And, and what Triple J does musically with um, uh, Unearthed yep. and the online 24-hour Unearthed, Unearthed radio station and, and things like that, it just, what it does for not just music, but as I said, like an entire culture has, has a voice yep. because of that. And it's real special though. There's, it's a government thing. Totally. I know. It's totally. really important because it's Very another important. way of telling our story, uh, which is great. But I did want to ask you, um, was because for me, I knew, I think I my earliest memory of knowing it was back in the olden days when there wasn't TV on all the time, there would yeah. be a test pattern. All right, this is because I'm old as dirt. Um, <laughs> and I remember the test pattern was on, this is in Brisbane when we only had four channels or something. I remember watching the test pattern and they were playing classical music mm-hmm. and I knew what a conductor did because I'd seen a conductor before yeah, and I were playing classical music and I was, must have been five or four, mm. conducting this music that you was coming out of the television. I was imaginary, yeah. imagining conducting. And Amazing. I was, and I, I remember this feeling that would also, you know, come over me like, like when Jimi Hendrix switches a pickup yeah. or, or, you know, when, when Beyonce hits that high note. I remember having this feeling rush over wow. me and knowing that early, oh, this music thing, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is it. When did you know? I, um, I've got a few really strong musical memories, but mine was also to do with the ABC. My, I was a really big rage kid. I was the youngest of four kids and I was, um, my brothers were quite musical and always playing instruments and playing, you know, music in the house. And I was the youngest by a long way. And so my, I used to always want to hang out with them. So they'd be talking about music and I'd sort of just sit there. So and, hang on, three older brothers No, and two you? older brothers and a sister. Okay. But our house was the house where there was always kids. So there was always a bunch of boys sitting around with guitars and, you know, trying to play music and talking about music. And, and I was the little sister who was always getting bullied and pushed over. And, but I, was, I just wanted to hang out with the gang. So I'd start, when they were out, I'd listen to all the records. And I'd, you know, listen to everything, listen to all their music, what listen records to all their CDs. Oh, man. They when loved... you first picked up and, and that really scary moment where you drop the needle yeah, yeah. and it's you really don't loud know what and it booms done. and yeah, you think yeah. you've broken it and then the crackles before the first riff starts. Yeah, I mean, I think that I have really early memories of Violet Femmes, of um, my oldest brother was really into Van Halen. I remember 5150. I remember my dad was a bass player as well and he was really into Jimi Hendrix. So I, I listened to a lot of Jimi Hendrix and a lot of Stevie Winwood and a lot of like... Um, then my sister's Whitney Houston, you know, that sort of thing. And I remember having really, I mean, I would just dance around the house when they weren't there. I'd just like put music on and just dance around the house and, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, thrill, the Thriller record, you know, anything I could get my hands on, I just loved it. So I really remember that being a very, and I remember just because I wanted to hang out with them, I would learn all the words. I'd learn all the words. I'd learn the order of the songs. I'd be able to tell them like, anything about the record because I wanted to 
to, I wanted them to think I was cool, you know. I wanted to be able to talk to them about something. Did you just, like, this is back in the day before the internet, where you'd hold the record would you, and you'd read the back? Yeah, of course. And, and say, who's Lee Sklar? Totally. Oh, that's the bass player who's also on that record yeah, over there. Yeah, 100%. These two songs sound totally different. And it was like a de- complete, because information, you didn't have the internet to give you every piece of information you've always wanted. So it was like a complete musical puzzle in front of you, and you had to work out what, like what oh gosh so that so that's that and then I'll you know if I listen to that I don't know I was just really into everything and I you know if maybe I had one one song by this artist on my hot hits volume nine whatever hey, I used to I, host the hot hits come right. on man that was my old so, show yeah 100% hits yeah. volume 10 cassette yeah exactly so I'd and then I'd be like oh, my brother has that whole record so then I'd go look at the record and listen through it try and learn everything so I mean that was and I remember trying to talk to my friends about it thinking that that was the normal thing that all kids did and I'd talk to my friends about it and they just were like what I'm like well you know Jimi Hendrix's blah 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 they're like what I don't know that song and so th- that's when I realized oh, I'm a bit, I'm into different things. Because uh, as a kid, you think everyone's experience is your experience. You have yeah. that vibe that everyone's the same. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't get into Hendrix. I didn't find Hendrix until like 14 or 15. Right. So that you found Hendrix so early. Is, oh, like as a kid, like a whoa. little baby. I, I had this like, Hendrix binge the other night. Did just, you? Yeah. Mm. Like, and then I went all, because... I went down Band of Gypsies Road right. and just like, man, like when you think about, it, it's, it's like trying to imagine what would the world look like if there was no Steve Jobs. If Steve Jobs never turned right. up and said, hey, we can do this. In fact, I'm just going to go do it and yeah. fuck you all. This is how it's going to be. Mm. If Hendrix had never turned up, it, like what would music have been like? You know, if he'd never just said, really, I'm going to play it upside down and I'm going to do this with right. it. Just incredible what that yeah, guy did. A hundred percent. I mean, when I remember when I was about fourteen or fifteen, reading the Jimi Hendrix Experience book, which I still have. You know, when you're a kid and you sit there and you're bored in your house and you just read your parents' books. And yes, stuff. this is a thing they had before the internet. We had this thing called boredom. Books. Yeah, boredom. No boredom. We would actually go. Totally. I really have done everything that there is to do totally. in my immediate vicinity. <laughs> There's really nothing at all to do. I just have to sit here 100%. and do nothing. But yeah. now, you're never bored. Never. Ever. Ever. You can finger your phone all night totally. if you want. Just so anyway. refresh, refresh, double clip, refresh, refresh. No, so you're reading your Jimi Hendrix book? I was book. reading my Jimi Hendrix book and it, I, I mean, I knew Mitch Mitchell, the bass drummer. I, I mean, the drummer. And then there was, um, what was the, the Noel, Noel Redding. Redding, the you know, the, the bass guitarist. And I was just like all over it. And I talk, tried to talk to my friends about it, didn't compute. Um but a few two two fun Luno facts. I actually on the I just did a tour of America with the Weekend, who's an R and B artist, and we had like four days off in Seattle. And I had met this this yeah before Kurt Cobain there was Jimi Hendrix, yeah, the original Seattle totally. rocker. Totally. Yeah. So I'm in Seattle, and this lady who was a friend of mine's mum who lived in Seattle. It was one of those weird things at a barbecue in LA. I met the parents of one of my friends. And they were like, oh, we're from Seattle. And I said, oh, I'm going to Seattle next week or whatever it was. They're like, oh, we'll show you around. So this lady came and picked me up, who I didn't know at all. And we went driving around Seattle. And we sort of didn't know what to do. We're just driving around. I thought to myself, hang on, Jimi Hendrix is from Seattle. And I looked up on my phone and found his grave. And I went to Jimi Hendrix's grave. And I sat there and I played Little Wing from my phone. And I just like had a moment and just thought about it. 
And that was that story. I just got goosebumps. Yeah, it was beautiful. So amazing. Another good Luno fact. My dad was a bass player and actually jammed with Jimi Hendrix yeah. in Copenhagen. I was just about to ask that. You, you say your dad's a bass player, but I'm, I'm guessing he was of some... Rep- how, what kind of bass player? Who did well, he play with? I mean, we're talking about the 60s, so it, everyone was blues musicians. Everyone was in a blues cover band, including the Rolling Stones, who, as we all know, was a blues cover band. Mm-hmm. Didn't really pay many royalties, those guys? No. So, um, yeah, so my dad was in a blues cover band, which I think, what was the name? It was like, I really like the name of his cover band. It was like the Checkerboards or something oh, yeah. really amazing. Well, all the record companies were like, it was Chess Records and, and yeah. all that. Like, so it would have been a reference to that, I'm it sure. It was that, or it was like the b Sharp. I don't know. It was like an amazing... The b Sharp. Yeah, it was Simpsons something. Episode. Yeah, that's a Simpsons episode. But it was something like that. Like Domino's. Maybe it was Domino's. Right. Something like this. Was he living in Europe at the time? Yeah, he's Danish. My dad's Danish. So he was in Copenhagen. So if you read the Jimi Hendrix Experience book, which I've read about four times, um, the, one of the first tours that the experience does is through Denmark. Because when Jimi Hendrix first started doing his solo project, he his first record deal was from London. Mm-hmm. That's when he put together the experience. And one of his first tours was in um, Denmark. And they were playing a music festival and the promoter obviously didn't sell enough tickets and just didn't come back to the venue and left all the musicians sitting there backstage. Not getting paid. Not getting paid. Ugh. So everyone was just playing their instruments and they just had a jam. <gasps> And your dad was there. Yeah. Wow. And he's another good lunar fact for that night. Uh, he said he woke up next to a woman who had no teeth, dentures. Uh-huh. So he like woke up in this strange girl's bed, and next to the bed was a cup with dentures in it. Whoa. Go, dad. That's wild. Yeah. So I'm guessing if your dad's got stories like that, did you put two and two together that music mm. meant a pathway to this kind of adventurous life? I think so. I think I did. Yeah, I was. That it couldn't be a job, that I could yeah. travel around the world and do it? Yeah. I definitely did. And when, he, did he, when did he get the idea of like, hang on, my youngest daughter is into Hendrix? Uh, he, all of us were. All of us kids were. My brother, my eldest brother was lead guitarist and my other brother was a drummer. And we were all very much like always playing dad music and trying to impress him with our music. And he's always like, ah, oh, it's crap. Wow. Um, so, yeah, he, he knew that we were... He, I remember once we were at a barbecue and he, uh, we were all the kids were in the back of this car. We were driving out to somewhere and he was, he's like, sing us a song, kids. And we're like, what should we sing? And he's like, sing Hey Joe as a joke. And like, <laughs> I started singing Hey Joe and like knew all the words. And he was so impressed. He was like quite proud, I think. Is your what, eight singing? I yeah. heard you shot your old lady yeah, down. Totally. I'm going to go down to Mexico and run yeah. away. Way down to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> so was the voice your first instrument? Like, did you play any other instruments or was it always singing? I learned piano, violin, um, then rhythm, like um, acoustic guitar and then bass guitar. I, well, funnily enough, because my dad and the boys used to have this band in the, the band room, I used to just go in the band room and just sit there and sing as loudly as I could to all the songs they were playing. So I never thought of myself as a singer at all, but... I would totally just try and sing and play whatever I could play and get involved. And at what point did you realise this is it, there's nothing else, I don't want to go be an accountant? Well, I think when I left school, you know, we were, I went to Channel V. I didn't, being a DJ... What, we got you right out of high school? Yeah. Get out. Yeah. I was 18 or 19. Get out. I sent a tape to Ben Richardson. He called me in two days. I'll never forget that. 
Hang on, tell me that story. How did you even get the idea to send a tape to Channel well, V? Well, I just This knew... is a music channel that uh, we used to work yeah. at. This is down in Australia. It's kind of like MTV, but the Asian version. And at the time, <laughs> we were far more underground and cool. It was really cool. It was super cool. It was. With an unlimited budget. And we, we're it was not a magical time. We could, it was a magical time. We could do a lot. Anyway, so you'd finished high school. Obviously, you're aware of this music television channel. Yeah, I knew that music was a really big calling Mm -hmm. of mine, but I didn't know. Being a DJ wasn't really a thing, and I'd already been, like, as a kid, I was obsessed with music, and I'd go just to the record store every day after school and just listen through the bargain bin. That was my thing. So I knew that I was really into music, but I I just didn't know how to... It wasn't like I had a clear road in front of me. I never thought of being a DJ because I didn't know anyone who was a DJ, you know, didn't know so I thought well what's a job in music and I thought I'm pretty good at like talking and stuff maybe I could be a music tv host I don't know so I started I did a video are you already on radio no no I started doing radio because channel v would they were like not sure what they were doing there was this big change over time yeah there was and it was like you guys were busy doing idol so they needed some more people but then you'd be back and then so they just sort of kept calling me saying, we really like you, but we don't know what to do with you yet. So just, so I started doing FBI ah. and that's how it happened. Right. And that's how I started DJing. So hang on. So tell me more about the making the tape. You just, because so that's how I got my job. I got my job there. I just made a tape. Right. And I sent it in. That's exactly what That's I how did. I got my job there. So me and Mark rode around and we were really into bands and then like I'd, every band that came to town, I'd write them an email on MySpace or whatever it was and be like, Hi. Um, you're coming and playing at this show. I'd really love to interview you. Um, I can't pay you, but I'll bake you muffins. So I'd bake muffins and I'd go and meet them at Soundcheck and interview them at the Annandale backyard or something and just filmed a whole bunch of stuff and interviewed a whole bunch of bands and that's how I... And then I edited it together and sent it in and that's how I got content. And so you sent a video in of you doing the job you wanted to do. Yeah. You decided in your heart, oh, I'm good at this. I know how to do it. I'll make it happen. I mean, when you're young, you just do stuff. I don't know. That's what you did. I'm still doing it. Exactly. I'm I'm walking in like with, I mean, you had no experience. You had no, No. nothing. You just went, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And you went ahead and did it. Yeah. And I'll be 40 in four weeks, four and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm still doing that. Right. And I have to remind myself, hang on, every breakthrough I've ever had in my career yeah. has been where I've just gone, no, fuck it, I'm just going to walk in this door and say I'm this, yeah. and this is what I'm here to do. And people tenderly go, okay. Totally. And you have to keep reminding yourself of that as well in life. Like you, There's so many times where I'll, I'll hit a dead-end road or I'll feel like I've done as much as I could in one way and I'll want to change something. And, you know, for instance, when I, when I was DJing for a while and I got pretty good at DJing and I was getting a lot of work, but I knew that I wanted to make music. And I knew that I, I, I didn't quite have the skills yet I'd learnt, but I just needed to really go after it. But it takes a lot to say, I'm a musician. Mm-hmm. I'm a singer. I'm going to do this. And it took a long time to get the balls up to make that happen. And then eventually you just it torments you. It ticks away at you until you don't have a choice but surrender. And that's um, how I started producing and, and doing vocals. So there was a time where I was really interested in DJing because I I'd played double bass in a hip-hop band mm-hmm. and i used to watch our dj catch play all the time i was like wow mm-hmm. what's that that's incredible he was very very gifted is very very gifted dj is the dj in a band called resin dogs and i'd watch him and be like wow that's amazing i mm-hmm. want to learn how to do that one day um but i quickly figured out it was essentially it was like trying to be steve Vai or eddie van halen 
level of technical difficulty on the turntables. Right. The kind of scratching that he was doing right. was like... I was going to say, it depends what kind of DJ. Yeah, the kind so of scratching he was, he was like, doing, I'm like, you may as well be, you know, the, the dude from Dream Theater. Right. Because <laughs> that's exceedingly difficult what you're doing. And <laughs> here I am trying to think that I can just do it because I have a record player. Right. I, I clearly couldn't. Um, and then, so the idea of like, oh, well, I like, you know, I like, I like disco music. I like, I was really into... Um, very, very much into that and very much into, like, the live orchestra disco stuff and very much into, like, Tower of Power and, like, just, like, mad, mad funk, uh, like, 70s George Clinton stuff. Yeah. I thought, oh, this would be like, make a good set. I could play a set like this. So I remember asking someone who used, we used to work with, and my first DJ lesson came from Mike Carey. I remember Mike Carey. Mike Carey, who's now the producer of The Loop on Channel 11 down right. in Australia. So that was the first person that showed me what a crossfader yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, do, do, who was the person that went, okay, this is how you do it, and if this record's going too fast, you just pull it back this way, hold a needle, and we'll push it there? Or? There was a few different... I read a book, actually, that, that Martini Connolly, mutual friend of me and me and Osh's, um, she gave me... When I started getting this idea, I'm like, you know what, I might want to try this. She found a book lying around at Channel V called How to Be a DJ, and it was like one of those funny vice books... Oh they yeah, just, yeah, like a do's and don'ts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it was completely useless. In now, now looking back, I know it was completely useless. But I, you know, I had a book telling me that I can and can't do certain things, and that was the start. That got me going, and then I got a gig at an indie night, just basically playing stuff. You don't have to actually mix it; you just play it, and that was you know, quite nerve wracking. I don't think I made any real progress, but then I actually moved to America and started, um, assisting a DJ. And that's when I sort of started putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And she had a friend come stay with him, with her. And he was a great DJ called DJ Ruckus. And, um, she was like, yeah, you can stay with me, but my assistant's there. You're going to have to hang out with her. And, and I just picked his brain for a night. And I just said, okay, tell me this. How does this work? How does this work? And I remember the exact moment that I worked it out. He, you know, I, play, I just made two CDs and I just mixed them into each other all night. And I remember walking up like Fifth Avenue in New York to go up to Macy's to run errands or do something. And I was like, I worked this out. And I was strutting down the street like I worked it out. I just knew that I'd cracked something and that I'd had a new skill that I knew I could use. That's well, two things very quickly. You you just kind of leapt over the fact that like, I moved to America, <laughs> um, which which is where we are now in uh, in Silver Lake with the sound of PK Los Angeles traffic behind us, and it is winter, but it's hot. It's really hot. It's just the world's in trouble. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
trouble. You can find Anna Luno on Twitter and Instagram at Anna Luno, L-U-N-O-E. She's also on SoundCloud. I hope you're listening. I hope you're twin screening right now, listening to us from SoundCloud. Um, and if you want, you can go on iTunes and um, listen to a new single, Breathe. Actually, buy it right now. It'll cost you two bucks. Do it. <laughs> Do it. I'll go on Beatport, but we'll talk about that later. Um, so... Producing came before DJing. Yes. Ah. Oh no! Wait. No. No. Sorry. 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 DJing came before producing. So you're in. You're in Sydney. You're playing records. Yep. So you're playing out. Essentially, that's all I was doing. I never beat matched out when I was playing out. When I DJed, I would just play. This is a cool record, and that's a cool record. Yes, right. And here's a cool record, and that's a cool record. Right. Sometimes. I would DJ just off an iPod and have to talk in between because it was the old iPod <laughs> with a uh, with a um a disc drive in it. Right. And it took a few seconds to reset. <laughs> so I'd have to go do a segue. Hey, everybody, hope you're having a really good time. <laughs> uh, but I was a terrible DJ. I was a- that is, you are selling yourself short. I saw Yay! Woo! I just spilled water all over Anna, which was excellent. <laughs> that is great. It's actually cooling. Uh, <laughs> I just, like, literally spilled water right into your pants. <laughs> Sorry about that. This is my whole life, by the way. My whole life is just a series of spilling things and breaking stuff accidentally. We're back. back. (laughs) Um, What were we saying? Uh, You were telling me that I was selling myself short as a DJ, but I have distinct memories of just clearing dance floors. (laughs) And there's nothing... I remember telling Goodwill about this. There's no feeling quite as horrible. I mean, it sucks when you're in a band and no one dances, but people tend to stay in front of you. they just watch you. Because there's at least something to watch when you're in a band you're playing a song that no one's into. But when you're DJing and you're playing a song that no one's into, people are like... I don't know, fuck this, I'm going to the bar. Totally. Because there's always a bar or something to do in the bathrooms or go to the bathroom, yeah, Um, or go outside (laughs) for a smoke. I listened to a great podcast the other day with Conan O'Brien and he was saying how he feels about his career, the reason that it's kept his interest for so long is because, and you'll relate to this as a TV personality, but you're always 10 seconds away from the worst show of your life. Absolutely. So it's that thing where you think you know what's going on and we're dancing and we're exchanging energy and I'm playing songs and you're liking it and then I play another song and everyone hates it. Over. And you're just like, okay, that's humility. That's humility because you can never get too big for your boots. But the good thing about being a DJ is that when you're in a band, you've got to play the whole song. Yeah. You've got to play the song out. As a DJ, you can go, whoa, I'm getting out of this. Yeah, totally. Put that one on. Let's put on that one from Peter, Paul and Mary. Oh, no. What's the other one? Peter, Bjorn and John. Yeah, that's it. Peter, Bjorn and John. (laughs) That was like my ripcord. Yeah. As soon as you play that whistly stuff, people just say, we're back. Yeah. And we're back. I used to enjoy playing the... um, I just had this whole trip of just like playing early 90s, like LA, like Far Side and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I just loved that sound. That's actually what I first, my first mix CD that I made in New York was all just early 90s hip hop and mixed in with a strange fusion of pop music at the time. Or not even really pop music, but I don't know, Niles Barkley and Outkast. Oh, and, yeah. You know, the gorillas, anything that I thought was interesting. So that was my, fir- my first foray as well. Where Loved did, you, where did I side. play that you saw me? Uh, at the at Bondi. I think it was like the, the Bondi Hugo's. You know, they had that for a while. They had a Hugo's Pizza Lounge and, then the, and the, that had a downstairs area. 
Oh, really? I played a gig there once? Well, it, it was... It was downstairs. It was, downstairs. was a crossroad from my house. Yeah. yeah. And it was... I just went one Wednesday night or something yeah. with Martini. I forgot that I played over there. Yeah. Yeah, it was like... It was literally... It was... I used to count that bar was 186 steps from my front door. Right. Um, I don't drink anymore, but back in the day, that, <laughs> this was an important fact. Right. Um, yeah, I forgot that I played there. That was the best gig because I never had to travel. I just went and did it. Oh, the travel. Travel travel is getting tough. We'll get to that. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that. So how I met a pretty girl on the beach and followed her home. That's how I came to America. Okay. What was you like, okay, Sydney's not doing it. I've got to get to the States. What was it for you? Well, I think that when I lived over here, I definitely got a taste for it. And I thought, you know, I would love to be... When you a, lived over here just... In, before I started... When I started DJing uh-huh. in 2006, I was living over here. But so how I, did you move over here? What was the... Inception to go, I'm leaving Australia. A family going... friend was the DJ who, who had, you know, needed an assistant. And my brother, actually, who's, who's a legend called Michael, he, is, um, he has been really a great supporter of me in my career. You know, every now and then he'll be like, Anna, you're doing this. I've made a decision for you. Like, he'll just be like, I think you should do this. You can do it. Do it. So he's kind of like, he encouraged me to go to New York and work for Sky and, and do that. So I did. So the job was out there. Yeah, it was. What were your options in Sydney? What was the options in Sydney? Well, I was working at FBI. I was doing, you know, I had, I was talking to Channel V and doing bits and bobs for Channel V. I was doing like, I don't know, I was doing gigs. I was doing uh, all kinds of different stuff. Um, But I just knew that it was a great, you know, why not? And she'd play all the celebrity parties, so I'd be, you know, playing it parties and Christina Aguilera would perform and you know it was exciting so as an assistant to a DJ I once saw Run DMC play uh-huh. with like the late Jam Master J mm-hmm. and I, he never touched the records except when he was mixing right so, so he had the, someone come in at and... the end of the songs he would walk back and his guy wow. would put the records on and then he would go in there. I remember seeing Grandmaster Flash do the same thing. Wow. Grandmaster Flash, uh, his assistant just stood there with all the records and Grandmaster Flash would play and like keep one record going and pull this record off, throw it on a pile. He would just get handed the yeah. next one and just queue it up and just... So was that what you were doing? Like what was no. it to do to be a DJ's assistant? Oh, at the time, I, I did a lot of um, admin stuff and just, I don't know, just... Like I do a lot of the music work, a lot of the um, cataloging of all the music. I don't know, uh-huh. just work around the house, like whatever needed to be done. I'd okay. go to all the fashion houses and get clothes, pull um, clothes for the outfits. I'd organise some travel stuff and uh-huh. whatever needed to be done. It was more of an it was a PA role. Like so, cataloging the music is is an important part of it. Totally, people, people don't understand a lot about DJing. Exactly, there's no, hours and hours. hours and hours of work that goes into it. Absolutely, and so that actually was when I do all this stuff for her. It started to make me think, okay, I'm going to do this this way. She's not doing. I'm going to do this differently, and I'm going to do this. So it made me realize, like, it made me see the, the norm and what some people were doing, and made me work out what I would like to do. So then, when I left working for her, I came back to Australia. And I just sort of had a plan, you know. I just sort of knew what music I wanted to play. I catalogued it. I had this whole library system that I invented, which people I meet still like, you're that girl that played before me. Like people that I meet in America are like, you played before me at some gig in uh, Queensland. You had this weird system, this library. I'm like, yeah, my library system. You just still use it? I changed to Serato. Right. But yeah, it's still similar, but it used to be so intense. It was like a library and each CD was numbered and had a, it was all in BPM order and it was all, I don't know, 
I went in on that. That was like five years of my life that I spent doing that, and it's all sitting in a box somewhere. But it's super important. A lot of a lot of folks don't realize that part about DJing. It's not just I'm going to play this record. If I if I buy the top twenty songs on Beatport and then just mix them together, everything's going to be amazing. Mm. It's not. No. Because you need to know every bar mm. of every track. Totally. The key of every song how this key is going to work with that key, mm-hmm. where the vocal drop is, and then keep your eye on the crowd. Yeah. Are they moving to this? Are they responding to that? This might have worked great in my bedroom, but there's just been a, a hockey game on television, so people are fired up. Or half the room is full, so the vibe is down. Like You've got to be able to change anything at any moment. That can only happen when you have an intimate knowledge with your entire catalogue that's mm-hmm. at your availability, which at the time when DJing started was as much as you could carry in crates. Now it can be 10,000 songs. <laughs> I mean, it's a real thing. I have not deleted any music. So I carry around on my laptop every single song I've ever DJed out. And it's like so much information in my brain. I'm like a big old blocked Mac computer up here. <laughs> it's crazy. I need to do a massive reset. It's because a big defrag. It's, yeah. It's so intense. It, I, there's no way I can possibly know all this music now. So I work in little bites. I just take a bite and I'll, I'll take a small playlist and get to know that. And then, you know, you just can only know so many songs at one time. So at what point you said, okay, I can do this. I can DJ. Here's my catalog system and it's working. You're obviously, if you suck as a DJ, you don't stay a DJ because people don't dance, you don't get booked. So it's working. Yeah. And you're making money and you're living here in America, which is... No, I I started DJing properly in Australia. Okay. I worked here as as the DJ's assistant and then I went back to Australia and that's Uh when I properly started. And so you're playing out and it's getting regular yeah. and people are liking what you're doing. Yeah, and like I've started getting contacted to do my dream gigs, you know, like I was supporting MIA and Lupe Fiasco and all these great, you know, Dizzy Rascal and they were just people that I was so excited about working alongside. So it was very much like I had a golden run, got very mm-hmm. lucky. And at what point was it like, I'm getting back to America? Well, honestly, five years went by. So I went, I DJed, um, did all... I started doing Ministry of Sound compilations, which is where I met Goodwill, mutual oh. friend of ours as well. Great um, guest on the podcast. I yeah. think it was like episode four or yeah. episode six. Great He's guy. My chan. neighbor when I'm in Bondi. There you He's go. He's the loveliest man that ever did live. Uh-huh. 100%. Really, whatever they say about DJ Goodwill, it's not good enough. <laughs> He's lovelier than anyone will tell you. <laughs> yeah, we did a CD together and... By the end of that tour, you tour for two and a half months around Australia, everywhere, like Coffs Harbour to Dubbo to, I mean, you just go all over the place. And by the end of it, we spoke another language. We were just in in another world. I'd come home with so many in-jokes. Mark would be like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about now? I'd be like, me and Goodwill have this funny lol where we do this. He's like, oh God. Um... But, yeah, no, he's, he's a lovely dude. What were we talking about? Well, I was asking you, like, I'm guessing it was in that five years. I was going to ask you about America, but I'm yeah. going to now backtrack. So I'm guessing it was in that five years that you're like, hang on, I should maybe make some of this music. Yes. So yeah, in right? that, yeah, exactly. So by about 2010, I'd, 2009, I started to properly. I learned in 2007 to use Ableton, which is a dance music software, and I tried to do bits at a time. But as we all, all creatives know, there's a big gap between when you start doing something to when you're actually making stuff that you think is decent. So I was trying to make stuff, but also traveling four days a week and not really giving it that much energy. And a few years went by and I wasn't really advancing and I, I got frustrated. And, and then eventually I had a moment where I was just like, 
I can't do it anymore. I can't just be a local DJ who supports all the big acts. Like I can do it. I can be better than this. I can make music. I can do this. So then I started just really knuckling down and trying to make my own music, my own remixes. And so that's what I did. And Ableton was the first software Ableton, that you touched? Yeah. Wow, you're so lucky. Why? What, I, you I, Pro Tools? I, I, no, I started on an Atari 1040 wow. ST, yeah, with an A drive. Right. Two MIDI outs that were underneath it that were really dodgy connectors if you unplugged them and plugged them up too much. Right. So, but that was the first time that you, you looped four bars was on Ableton. Yeah. Incredible software. It's, it is. I use it. I, it it's an, it's a, I edit my podcast on Ableton. Right. It's incredible software in that it's almost like a playable Pro Tools. Yeah. Which is, you can play play it like an instrument, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And there's, a, there's one band here in LA, actually, just down the street, that I'm massive fans of. They've taken what Ableton is and to an entirely different level, a band called Glitch Mob, okay. who are bonkers. Right. Absolutely bonkers. They've taken it to a point where they, they build their own touchscreen controllers to control their entire set. And when they play, they play live. Mm-hmm. They play everything live. They trigger everything cool. live, all off of Ableton. Yeah. And it's just gargantuan kind of Fritz Lang Metropolis looking machine when they build it every day. Yeah, and yeah. They're about to go on a tour. The new record just came out. But, awesome. Um, yeah, Beretta and Edit and oh, what's the other one? I'm mates with Beretta. Anyway, they're amazing. Yeah. They're, yeah, yeah. But they um, – that's remarkable that you, that you touched Ableton at first. And when – you started. To, where was the like the same Fifth Avenue moment when you're walking down the street, going, "Dude, I just, I just figured out how to side chain a baseline." <laughs> when was that? Um, probably in the winter of 2000, and um, I can't remember what year it was. It was a winter time, and I just did a. I came back from Europe. I think it was 2010, and I just did a lock in where I just would lock myself in. The, I started locking myself in my room and doing a song a day, <gasps> and it didn't matter how bad the song was but or how loose or how you know messy it was but I'd make myself finish a song every day and that meant just getting the parts down and stop finicking about the, the stop finicking about the drum hits and getting so obsessed with the snare drum and just make a whole piece of something so that you can walk away at the end of the day and say that's the song from today you know one song a day so I started doing that how many days are we talking oh just over winter I did it like three days a week that's amazing not really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. That you had the foresight to just force yourself to... Because I know exactly what you're saying. Because there's a bajillion opportunities to tweak EQs and, and put a snare drum from this point to that point. And that you went, no, I need to, com- I need to com- complete. complete this and practice completing the whole thing. Yeah. Because that, that gives you perspective and makes you understand the parts. And it also gives you a lot of confidence. Because when you can hear something back and go, that's not so bad, you know? It gives you that confidence to want to do it more. Whereas if you're just constantly getting stuck on a loop and being like, oh, that kick's not as good as MK's kick or that kick. Literally getting stuck in a loop. Literally. Like, not just like in your brain. Same, no, we're talking listening to the same five seconds of music for three days. Yeah. You just, you can get yourself in such a tears. And I still do it, honestly. It's a constant pro, it's a constant state yeah. of um, learning. And when you were into that, that lock in phase, mm-hmm. At what point, because I, I instantly relate, I've never done that with music, I really should, but I've never done that with music, but I did do it with my photography. That's mm. what helped me smash through a creative barrier that I had been stuck behind through my own habit. Right. 
um, was when I was like, I'm going to shoot a self-portrait every single day. I'm going to do it for a year. I saw that. It was great. I'm going to, thank you. I'm going to do it for a year. I'm going to shoot with flashes. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to carry everything with me wherever I go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and avoid natural light at all, at all times. So the only light in the picture is the light I've put in there. Right. And it forced me every single day to be like, and I, by the time I unpacked the bag, I was like, well, I'm here. May as well. Yeah. Um, at what point, and there was one point I was going to say, it's probably about four months in, mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, I'm able to, I, didn't, I stopped having to think about where the dials yeah. and knobs were. I could, you know, read flashes just from, you know, I, it just became so intimate. Mm-hmm. Everything became habitual. I like to refer to it as like the first time you reverse down a driveway mm-hmm. in a manual car you're thinking about a jillion things at once. Now, when you do it, you're texting on the phone, you're talking, you're eating, you're doing it with one hand because everything else is in auto mode. mode. Yeah, auto. So at what point in that winter did you start to break through the habit loops and, and the creative barrier codes? Uh, I honestly still fight creative barriers every day. I'm still fighting creative barriers all the time. I don't think it ever... I'm definitely... Because I write and write... I write... Like, I write the music, I produce... I can produce it and also sing on it and write the words. I've worked in chunks. So I'll spend six months where I really focus on the production. And then I feel like I'm an amateur singer and I feel like I'm amateur songwriter, you know, words. Then I'll be obsessed with words for three months and I'll just try and write cleverer words and try and advance that side of things. And then, you know, I want to learn piano so I can get my chords better. So I just sort of go in chunks. So I've never really had a breakthrough moment yet in my musical career where it's all come together but and sure, I felt very... in winter time, there must have been a moment where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of getting this. Yeah, there were definitely moments. Like when right. I... Yeah, there was, a f- there was definitely a few times where I thought... I, it was enough for encouragement for me to continue. Yeah, right. But I still feel like an amateur. Well, that's okay. It means you're pushing boundaries. Yeah. It means you're pushing, pushing barriers. But I'm so excited that you just talked about that, that you, you recognize I need to bust through this. Totally. I need well, to bust through this wall. I found that I, like, I've also come to understand I, a lot of my creative strengths and where they lie and how to get the best out of myself as well. So I love collaborating with other people and, you know, it just brings out another side and they can take a bit of the load of that and I can focus on this and so yeah so I've just sort of worked in so many different ways that I'm sort of piecing it all together I sort of I liken it to a a kid when a kid grows up bilingual or you know when their parents speak different languages and they don't speak till they're five but then they're fluent in like five languages I feel a little bit like that I feel like I'm really it's my brain's working in different in different areas at different times and hopefully one day it'll all come together and I'll be this amazing fluent baby. <sighs> I think you're doing all right. I wouldn't worry if I were you. <laughs> you can follow Anna Luno on Twitter. Uh, she's at Anna Luno, L-U-N-O-E, and also on Instagram under the same handle. Go find her on SoundCloud and her new single is called Breathe. It's on iTunes. If you want to see her live, analuno.com. Um, just go. Go see Anna live. I had one of the most remarkable days of my life in New York with you two summers ago mm-hmm. when we reconnected and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to a block party. Do you want to come? <laughs> and firstly, I'm like, hang on. I've heard about these block party things and you are asking me if I want to go. Yes, of course I want to go. <laughs> um, and it was amazing. But you are. But then I found out, what do you mean? You Hang on. You're hooked up with Fool's Gold Records, which is an incredible record label. 
how did that happen? What, what What's going on there? Well, I mean, A-Track used to tour Australia, and I've been playing with A-Track since 2008, you know, supporting him when he came to Australia, or I did a show with him in London when I was touring with the Bumblebees. So I've known him for a while, and I think, you know, people forget that it's a dance music community, and actually everyone knows each other, really, because you grow up, A-Track wasn't such a big, a huge deal. I mean, he's been a huge deal his whole life because he's a DMC champion, but he's also kind of done the hard yards and yeah. so we all have there was We're a very nerdy grind. jazz hat phase for a track <laughs> he wasn't always standing on the decks with <laughs> with two serratos going at once <laughs> <laughs> he still wears a jazz hat and he's um, pretty nerdy which i love <laughs> i love how nerdy he is um yeah so i knew him and we knew each other and he you know he knows me and we he um they had released actually one of the little songs that i wrote during my lock-in 2010 was this little song called up and down and it's really simple and it's sort of the kind of song that i didn't know what to do with it because it's not a proper dance song it's not dance floor but it's a really cute kind of it's almost like to me it was my erotic city ode so it was a little sexy little something and i sent it to fool's gold I never want you to just stop. What the top podcast right now? Go on, <laughs> listen to Prince's Erotic City. That is an order. And then come back in five minutes, yeah. all hot and sweaty, or ten if you need a few moments afterwards, because <laughs> it'll do it to you. It's, that's the track, man. Oh, that was man. The, that was one of the songs that I was like, and then Prince did this. Yes. Oh my god! I just listened to that song and really <gasps> just like go <laughs> over <laughs> it. And there's one dance, I'll go dance while you... Like, there's one vocal riff where I'm like, oh, I feel it. I yeah. feel it, Prince. You got me. Yeah. So, anyway. So, anyway, so, so it sounded a little like Erotic City. It was City. a little bit... And there's a bit of an ode to Erotic City in the song. It was very much my ode to Erotic City. And so, I sent it to them and I was... I don't know. I just sent it. I was like, oh, guys, did this song. And then it went a month or two went by and I'd forgotten about it. I thought, oh, they don't like it. Okay, fine. Did you send it to get on a compilation? I just thought, oh, I love your thoughts. I sent it. I don't know why I sent it. I don't Love think it. I really expected it to be on anything. I didn't, it's definitely not a single, but it was just this interesting little song, and I just thought that I'd appreciate it because there was such a, you know, a disco root to it, and but it was also quite weird and modern. And had a big bass. I don't know. So yeah, they wrote back and they're like, "Actually, we're starting. Have you gotten rid of this song because we're actually starting this compilation series called Clubland, and we would like to put it on the first Clubland." And I was so excited because that was the first time that I really felt like a little song that I put together and wrote and sang on was getting a little bit of, you know, support. So they they released that, which was really cool. And then I did a podcast for them, a couple of mixtapes, an all-Australian special, which is on my SoundCloud if anyone cares to listen to it. And then Breathe came along and we sent them Breathe and they were down. And that's how it Amazing. Happened. But A-Track's amazing, and he actually, those block parties, I had the fortune of playing one in LA in November last year, and that was so fun. And actually, I recorded that set, and it's on SoundCloud as well. You've so, got to check that out. all about him. Now, I, um, I don't know much about, uh, I know enough about DJing, I think, to know that it can definitely be the realm of the very, very nerdy dude, mm-hmm. and it's crate digging dudes who yeah, look you gotta like you've got to be able to talk nerdy dudes yeah you've got to you've got to know who Ray Brown is you can't <laughs> you got to know if you don't know who Ray Brown is talk go find out who Ray Brown is and come back later um, uh, yeah as a woman was it ever because I've talked to DJs who had you know shall we say like massive 
kind of success. Mm-hmm. That's a fairly way to put it. Mm-hmm. Who now are, you know, I mean, I'm 40, all right, and guys my age who are like, yeah, all these hot chicks are DJing now. I can't get any work. <laughs> but you've been doing this for way, way longer than that. But it does definitely seem like a bit of a boys' club. Did Were you ever confronted with that? Oh, definitely. I think it was something that... I, I mean, they've always, the thing is there's always been women in this industry. They just haven't been got, they haven't gotten to the levels that get them the recognition, um, that people have really identified with. It's like there was in Australia, there was a bunch of girl DJs. I remember when I was still interviewing, I, um, interviewed a DJ called Luna, DJ Luna. I remember interviewing her and, and, um, Sveta, like there, there was Sydney DJs. There was lots of girls around, but. Um, I, I think it's it, it's rising through the ranks, which has been the problem. And I think that it's just a, a numbers game. The more that go in, the more that go up. The more that are showing, the more women that are that are um, seen in the industry as being power players. The more young girls are seeing girls and going, I could actually do that if I wanted. So when I first started, I didn't. I know now that there were girls there, but it wasn't in my scene. There was no girls in, in the scene that I was in. So for me, it felt like a real risk. And I used to dress down and dress very masculine and not try and draw any attention to to the female factor. And then eventually you just start, you just feel confident enough to be like, oh, I'm going to wear a skirt because I want to wear a skirt. Sorry. But no man would ever alter his appearance so people would take him seriously. Seriously. Oh, look, it's a really big conversation that... that I'm, I'm here to have it. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I think that there's a lot of positive stuff happening for for female DJs. I think there's a lot of crazy stuff happening. There's a lot of bikinis and crazy publicity stunts. But for every terrible but bikini publicity stunt situation, there's also five amazing girls who are working their butt off. And um, I'm optimistic. I think that we will see a big change, especially in the next 10 years, because I feel like there's a lot of girls bubbling on maybe the second tier and starting to creep up into the first tier. But I think that in the next 10 years, we'll see it really explode. The, the thing, though, that and I know enough about, and this is what we're doing right now, you've got you've got to create the reason for people to book you. Yeah. I've already known, like, this podcast isn't even six months old, mm-hmm. and this is something I do for free. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I do for free has made the thing that I get paid for and the things that I get paid for that much more valuable. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, so by you creating content, content, giving people a reason to book you, mm-hmm. that's the thing from where I stand that has pushed you above the on um, the club DJ you said so yourself mm. and considering that the barrier to entry is fairly low I mean everyone can it doesn't cost much to to get iTunes uh, to get Ableton LTE like yeah. you, you can get it with a sound card mm-hmm. a $100 sound card you can have a light version of Ableton mm-hmm. tomorrow um, would you say that lock yourself in the bedroom start getting those tracks happening as a way to bust through I would I, I think that when I first started DJing it was good enough just to be really great at DJing you could be you know you could be exceptional and that would be enough to get you really good bookings but unfortunately the games changed you know kids have garage band on their Macs from the age of five years old there's so much mass of dance music out there there's so many names there's so many DJs now you have got to be so unique 
that they could only book you to get that sound sort of thing. So I would definitely, my advice would to, to anyone starting out would definitely be to, to focus on production, but be ready to go. If your production, the, the amazing thing about the internet is you can upload it and have a Harlem shake on your hands in two months. Holy moly. So you could, that could be you. So if you're going to put music out there, be ready to play and be ready to be really, but just know that you're going out there and you're going to be DJing next to pros. So you have to be ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I would say is like, it's like anything, you've got to also be prepared to suck. Yeah, for, for a, a while, while, for sure. So maybe this is the this is the plan, up and comers. You're going to get your Ableton course. You're going to do the Ableton course. You're going to lock in all winter, but at the same time, you're going to get a bar gig. And every Thursday night, you're going to go down there and you're going to play. You're going to play to the locals for six hours. For six hours a night, for fifty bucks a night. And you're going to play them. Yeah, you you are going to play them. That Taylor Swift song they want to hear. <laughs> you really are. Pay your dues. Well, sometimes we got to. Yeah, you've, you've got to sometimes. What, what's a, tell me about a gig that you've played where you've gone, wow, these people like they want country. I better find some country. I have played every type of gig in the entire world. I have played every single type of gig in the entire world. I can't even. There's been every opportunity for me just to be dropped in the deep end. Every single one. I I, I remember turning up to gigs and just my face turning white when I arrived like I cannot do this these people I can't relate this is not what I do I mean yeah and I think that that's a really hard feeling to get over <laughs> and you should expect to experience that that's going to happen but the, the, the experience of this is what I had planned I better come up with a new plan new plan oh absolutely oh gosh recently I played in Panama um for a um a beach party down there and I mean honestly this still happens to me every weekend I'm just thrown in the deep end where I work in I walk into a club and I'm just okay this wasn't what I expected at all I'm gonna have to reassess now but I the good thing is is my library system which I created back in the day has this um, I could walk pretty much walk into most situations I have covered most situations I have a playlist which I could fight my way through the set and it would be okay and I would survive. So, yeah. But the good thing now is when you when you make your own music, people tend to book you for pretty much your own music. So they understand what they're getting when they book you now. So that was something that I didn't have before I started making my own music. But that skill that you've got that gets you through that, Fiora, I mean, surely by now you've realised that you're going to be okay. Yeah. Even though it's frightening, I'm going to be all right. Yeah. Before I was a DJ, when I was a teenager, I was really into horse riding. I was like a competitive eventer. Yes, and yes of course you like. were. But that was the best because I would go out every day and actually be scared I was going to break my neck. Whereas now I'm like, oh, what can happen? They hate me. I'll live. Have you ridden the horses up around the Hollywood sign? Funnily enough, I went horse riding for the first time in LA yesterday. <gasps> in the whole time I lived here. Where yeah. did you go? I, went, I was up in Idlewild. I went for a holiday in Idlewild and just went to a little local Where's spot. Idlewild? Three, two hours towards Palm Springs in Palm Deserty, kind of. Oh, right. Yeah. M- mountainous, beautiful. Pretty amazing. Very beautiful. A lot of people don't realize how, what kind of landscape is available to you within two hours drive from LA. Don't they say that eight of the nine ecosystems of the world or something are in California? Yeah, that's, that's probably right. Except for Arctic. Made up yeah. stat. No, it's probably, yeah. I'm sure you'd find a rainforest. Definitely. There's definitely rainforest in yeah. the north. Yeah. And desert and, and frightening down where I am. Um, 
It's interesting. Follow uh, Anna Luna on Instagram. If you look, there's a photo of the gig in Panama that she played. She's at Anna Luna on Instagram and also on Twitter. Find her on SoundCloud. Um, buy her new single, Brief. And I did want to ask you about... You already mentioned it with the A-Track story, which pretty much sums up what I want to talk to you about. But I interviewed a TV producer the other day for this show, and he just dropped this like a bomb in the middle of it. He goes, oh, no, 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 I don't have contacts. I have friends. Right. Nicely put. Would you say that is true for you? I think 100%. Um, it's very weird when your life is your job and it's your passion and you genuinely create bonds with people because you love the same thing and you are really passionate about said thing. But it's also both of your jobs. So it's, it's a very strange thing. Because there's a lot of people out there who go out to make friends professionally and make contacts, not friends. So me personally, I definitely feel very, very much a part of and protected by and proud of the dance music community. I think it's really important to service it and put my energy into it, to share my ideas, because it can only make it better. It's, I think it's more important to look at it like that than to be all about your own career and your own sort of forecast. So... Yeah, I think that that's a very nice way to put it. So to be to be of service to other people when they say, "Hey, I, I want to," you know, like to return the favor for what what I attracted for you. Absolutely, to to create awareness of what the realities are, to um, to give energy to the thing to the parts of the to the parts of the industry which um, how do I put it? To it's about making money, yes, but. It has to be a healthy scene. It can't be... I don't know. We, we can't all be egotistical and, and just blow our own horns. We have to share the ideas and share... It's not just about... I read this, this great book, which I'm sure you would have read just because I know you and I know that you would have read it. Please Kill Me. No, I never read it. No, you've got to read that book. All right. I'll all right. It. Put it right on now. your list. Buy it on Amazon, Amazon right I'll now. Buy it right now. So Keep talking. I'm listening. They talk about Lou Reed and how every every Velvet Underground gig, there was only eight people in the audience, but every single one of those... Oh, wait. No, I'm getting confused. I'm getting confused between the Hacienda and Please Kill Me. Hacienda was all about... Um, was all about... New Order. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Please kill me the uncensored oral history of punk. Yeah, you've got to read it. Um, yeah, New Order. So it's all about how every New Order gig, there was only, you know, at the beginning, there was only 10 people there, but every single kid there went home and started a band, you know? Oh, that's right. And that's I right. Think, I remember hearing that quote, yeah. And it's so, I think it's really important to inspire more action and more change. And even if you put, you know, one mix that I put on my SoundCloud, even if it only gets a thousand plays, but some kid... That's, that kid goes on and creates the next big wave or I don't know. You never know your influence and you never know what people pick up on. Mm. Kids write to me all the time and they're like, oh, you posted this song on your Facebook and I made this, I decided to try and make this edit and I made this edit of it and I, I get so pumped because I'm like, yeah, changing stuff, making this, it's all moving forward, it's all happening and that is really cool. So that's... Gee, speaking of editing, it's a long way from how I used to edit. With a cassette to cassette. Oh, I can't even imagine that. So, did you do the taping of the cassette? Uh, yeah, yeah. I would, I would hit st- stay on pause with one cassette. Yeah. And like when I'm recording songs off Take Forty Australia, which I ended up hosting, which is <laughs> that's wild. Totally wild. I would record 
because uh, uh, Barry Bissell back announced over the, the guitar solo at the end of Let's Go Crazy. And I'm like, I knew it was longer. It's <laughs> like, no, I need to. So I just sit by the radio listening for the, nah, dearly beloved. You know, <laughs> I sit there and wait. And I thought, like, I missed it. Oh, I missed it. Damn. I did the exact same thing. Yeah, man. All my CD, all my tapes. I was a mixtape bandit and I'd send it to my pen pals all over the world. I had all these pen pals. And I'd make the mix CDs, mixtapes, and I'd host them. So I'd. I wish I could. I had one which I got sent back, returned to sender, and I had it until like four years ago and I threw it out for some stupid reason. But I'd do the same thing, two fingers on the tape recorder, and it was like, Rick D's in the weekly top 40. And I'd be waiting for Under the Bridge to come on and I'd be like, ah, you know, you'd still have the... Hit record. Hit record. And would you do talk breaks? But I'd do the talk back afterwards. Get out. So you were... Here's the thing. So you're a kid. Yeah, and I was you, six. You're five, already six hosting seven. your own... Show. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I've never, I don't think about it often, but I totally was hosting my own radio shows and doing like my Looney Tunes mixes, which I put on my SoundCloud like last week. I was essentially doing that when I was seven years old to my pen pals. Isn't that funny? It's the greatest. Isn't that weird? Because look what you've done. You've, your life hasn't changed. You just, <laughs> the thing I'm that so- you did as a kid, you now do as for a living. Something like that. You're one of the luckiest people in the world. Yeah, it's cool. You really are. You've got to travel like crazy over the next month. Mm. What's that? Because that's the that's the tough part about doing being in dance music, is that you unless you're getting mad radio airplay, if you want to make money, you've got to go and play shows. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I've been touring nonstop for eight years, um, and it's starting to get hard. <laughs> I got to admit it. And it goes through. I think it was getting really hard in Australia. I was getting bored. So that's moving to America was a really nice change because it was all new cities, all new challenges. Everything felt like so exciting when I'd kill it or when something great would happen. I'd feel so that new excitement again, like I was like it was the first time. But now it's been a couple of years in America, two years in America, and I'm starting to get like fatigued again and finding it a little bit difficult because I travel alone as well. So you might go four days on two hours sleep a night not speaking to people. So it starts to get a bit crazy. Right. Yeah. But I noticed that on your tour schedule, um, like there's one day you're in Miami where it's going to be 27 degrees and sunny and the next day you're in Pittsburgh, <laughs> yeah. Pennsylvania, where it'll be minus 27. Minus, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and snow drifts. That's totally. a hell of a trip to pack for. Yeah. Oh, it's like that every weekend. The last three weekends I've been in snowstorms. I did Denver and Vancouver. The next week I did Toronto and New York. Like it's just going into the makes me love california even more yeah you and 90 million other people totally live here. yeah give me that cushy city any day yeah a lot of people live out <laughs> here for exactly that reason we sit and watch tv going hey, you're under 16 feet of snow as bill hicks would say hot and sunny <laughs> i'm out by the pool exactly uh but you are playing coachella which is enormous <laughs> have you played there before no no this is my first year i'm I'm really excited. It's so to me the coolest thing about my career is that it's been quite a slow build. You know, I look at Lord or Flume and these kids, and it's amazing what they've achieved in such a small amount of time. But I think there's something to be said for the slow burner because it's been so nice. Every year I get these new, you know, sometimes I get frustrated like, oh, I've been doing this forever, and then other times I think, yeah, but everything's grown every year has been new experiences and I've been ready to enjoy them and ready I really feel like going into Coachella I feel ready which is fun I just want to have a good time and 
my family's coming from all over the world because they're party animals and they can't help themselves. And I'm just going to be with my family at Coachella. I've been twice just on ground as a punter. So now I get to go and play some songs. It's kind of cool. And have the special pass with the clean toilets and the free water. Yeah. That's so amazing. Um, I'll leave it with this. Uh, Oh, well, two things. Firstly, I really want to talk to Flume. Okay. I really want him on my show (laughs) because we have a connection. What's your connection? I asked you about the very first piece of software you ever used. Yeah. The very first piece of music production software that Flume ever used. From the cereal box. Which at the time was a Channel V branded promotion. Wow. Which I hosted. (gasps) And it was branded as... Andrew G's music maker. You created this is Flume. No, this you, wild. So I just said yes to stuff. I didn't realize what I was doing. This is what I was talking about with creating energy. Like you, yeah. that's like how things work. When I was talking about the the community, and you never know what it you're putting into the It was a sales guy that put it together, and I when I remember doing the voiceover for it. And I remember being in the studio, and I had no idea. But the fact that this kid got this thing in a cereal box and just to walked away with five arias and is one of the hottest producers on the planet right now, <laughs> I really want to talk to him. That's really cool. I really so if you could make that happen, that would be. I can definitely even just talk to him it. about the possibility of having Absolutely, him on my show. Absolutely, I'll do that. Um, so without that, I'll leave it on this. You texted me last night, and I said, "Well, thank." When we were texting, organising today, and I said, "Well, thank you for making time. I know you're super busy," and you wrote me back, "Yes, but I." I always think that I'm not doing enough. Yeah. You really feel like you're the busiest person ever? I'm not. Asha, there's so many There's so many busy pe- people in the world. I don't know. I just... We all just... If you love something, you just do it. You just do it because you love it and you wake up and you think about it and you dream about it and you just do it. So for me, it's like... And for anyone who does what they love and I know that you work this hard, you just do because you wake up and that's what you want to do every day. So... But there is some weird, sick driving force that also makes you feel really guilty when you're not working. Well, for me anyway, do you get that? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. All so time. you get it. And that's part of the reason why I started this show. Exactly. I was down in Australia doing Bachelor and we're, it's a dream gig. Yeah. Dream gig. It's like four days a week. So the other three days a week, I'm like... So what did you do? I invited Scott Dooley. Hey, man, I saw him out. I was doing a... I was out with my friend Luke Heggie, who's a stand-up, and, you know, stand-ups to a bunch of clubs in a night, yeah. so I was just going with him for the night. It's, I like to do that with him sometimes. We just go around and see the clubs. And I saw Scott Dooley, a stand-up in Australia. I saw him out and about. I said, hey, what's going on? You're here for it? Yeah, I'm doing Bachelor. He goes, oh, that's cool, man. I said, hey, you should come on my podcast. He says, all right. Did Text me ha- about it. Did you have a podcast? Nope. Ah, I love it. Didn't have any microphones with me. Had nothing. Amazing. He said, all right. And then that's how it happened. Yeah. I went out the next day to Intermusic and Bondi Junction. I bought... Uh, uh, audio in out USB and I bought I bought two microphones and then Better three days later him. he came on the show and then I asked Goodwill hey Goodwill how do I upload a podcast yeah. he walked across the street showed me how to do it because <laughs> um, he lived across the street at the time and, um, and that's how it happened there you go that's it you just got to do it just do it I've got a few few things that I want to do this year you know sometimes you get I don't know every now and then I'm thinking like oh, I just wish I could do more I wish I could do this I wish I could do that and then you just have a shot of an idea a fresh idea there's nothing more invigorating mm. in the whole world than just being like having a new purpose just pop into your mind and you know it's not going to make you any money but you just want to do it so you find a way to make it happen and you call up someone you make the muffins or you do whatever you've got to do to get them in front of you and then you create whatever you need to create That's how it works right it does. Sometimes those jobs, sometimes those things turn into jobs. Exactly. And that's the greatest part about 
it's really scary not living a nine to five life mm. sometimes. But what you've just described is the really great part about it. Mm. That you're trying to remember when you haven't worked in six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll get out of your way and let you hang. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's the best. I'm going to take your photo. <laughs> and that was Anna Luno. As soon as I hit stop on my recorder, as soon as I hit stop on my recorder, she finished her thought, the last point that she was making. When we were talking about community, when we were talking about, you know, the people in her community and that, you know, the idea of I don't have contacts, I have friends. She just said, it's still your friends that shoot the photos. It's still your friends that direct the videos. And that one alone blew my mind. It's just, there's no like secret club that once you're in, you meet all new people who will suddenly create all these things for you. The, the videos, the, the clothes, the, the posters, the cover art. Nah, it's the same people you've always known and that have surrounded you your whole career. No matter what business that you're in, are the ones that help you. So just treat them like that and you should be fine. I can't wait to play the Josh Silverman, Josh Silverman interview, which is where that quote comes from, when he says, I don't have contacts, I have friends. I'll, I'll try and get that up as soon as I can. But that's it. That's the show. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you could tweet out a link to the show, if you liked it, just hit share on your phone. However you're listening to this, just tweet out or, or Facebook out or just tell a friend if it's for you, if you want to share. There's a lot of episodes to listen to. If this is your first, subscribe and enjoy the back catalogue. Quite a back catalogue now. And I'll see you here next week. I love you for being here. I really do. Could you do me the favour and sleep well this week? One of us should. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things. See ya. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.